welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wayne Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and everyone else all over the world. And since we are all children of the living God, whose spirit dwells within us all, let us begin to radiate those higher qualities of our mighty I Am Presence more often than not. And as we work diligently to gain more of an understanding about our individual selves, we will learn to use most effectively our own God-given power not for selfishness and destruction, but for the elevation of all God's children and all God's creation. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. The oldest, the most profound, the most universal of all symbols is the human body. The Greeks, Persians, Egyptians, and Hindus considered a philosophical analysis of man's triune nature to be an indispensable part of ethical and religious training. The mysteries of every nation taught that the laws, elements, and powers of the universe were epitomized in the human constitution, that everything which existed outside of man had its analog within man. The universe, being immeasurable in its immensity and inconceivable in its profundity, was beyond mortal estimation. Even the gods themselves could comprehend but a part of the inaccessible glory which was their source. When temporarily permeated with divine enthusiasm, man may transcend for a brief moment the limitations of his own personality and behold in part that celestial effulgence in which all creation is bathed. But even in his periods of greatest illumination, man is incapable of imprinting upon the substance of his rational soul, a perfect image of the multiform expression of celestial activity. Recognizing the futility of attempting to cope intellectually with that which transcends the comprehension of the rational faculties, the early philosophers turned their attention from the inconceivable divinity to man himself, within the narrow confines of whose nature they found manifested all the mysteries of the external spheres. As the natural outgrowth of this practice, there was fabricated a secret theological system in which God was considered as the grand man, and conversely, man as the little God. Continuing this analogy, the universe was regarded as a man and, conversely, man as a miniature universe. The greater universe was termed the macrocosm, the great world or body, and the divine life or spiritual entity controlling its functions was called the macroprosopis. Man's body, or the individual human universe, was termed the microcosm, and the divine life or spiritual entity controlling its functions was called the microprosopis. The pagan mysteries were primarily concerned with instructing neophytes in the true relationship existing between the macrocosm and the microcosm, in other words, between God and man. Accordingly, the key to these analogies between the organs and functions of the microcosmic man and those of the macrocosmic man constituted the most prized possession of the early initiates. Long before the introduction of idolatry into religion, the early priests caused the statue of a man to be placed in the sanctuary of the temple, 
This human figure symbolized the divine power in all its intricate manifestations. Thus, the priests of antiquity accepted man as their textbook, and through the study of him learned to understand the greater and more abstruse mysteries of the celestial scheme of which they were a part. It is not improbable that this mysterious figure standing over the primitive altars was made in the nature of a mannequin and, like certain emblematic hands in the mystery schools, was covered with either carved or painted hieroglyphs. The statue may have opened, thus showing the relative positions of the organs, bones, muscles, nerves, and other parts. After ages of research, the mannequin became a mass of intricate hieroglyphs and symbolic figures. Every part had its secret meaning. The measurements formed a basic standard by means of which it was possible to measure all parts of cosmos. It was a glorious composite emblem of all the knowledge possessed by the sages and hierophants. Then came the age of idolatry. The mysteries decayed from within. The secrets were lost, and none knew the identity of the mysterious man who stood over the altar. It was remembered only that the figure was a sacred and glorious symbol of the universal power, and it, finally came to be looked upon as a god, the one in whose image man was made. Having lost the knowledge of the purpose for which the mannequin was originally constructed, the priests worshipped this effigy until at last, their lack of spiritual understanding brought the temple down in ruins about their heads, and the statue crumbled with a civilization that had forgotten its meaning. Proceeding from this assumption of the first theologians that man is actually fashioned in the image of God, the initiated minds of past ages erected the stupendous structure of theology upon the foundation of the human body. The religious world of today is almost totally ignorant of the fact that the science of biology is the fountainhead of its doctrines and tenets. Many of the codes and laws believed by modern divines to have been direct revelations from divinity are in reality the fruitage of ages of patient delving into the intricacies of the human constitution, and the infinite wonders revealed by such a study. In nearly all the sacred books of the world can be traced an anatomical analogy. This is most evident in their creation myths. Anyone familiar with embryology and obstetrics will have no difficulty in recognizing the basis of the allegory concerning Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Nine Degrees of the Eleusinian Mysteries, and the Brahmanic legend of Vishnu's incarnations. The story of the universal egg, the Scandinavian myth of Ginungagap, the dark cleft in space in which the seed of the world is sown, and the use of the fish as the emblem of the paternal generative power, all show the true origin of theological speculation. The philosophers of antiquity realized that man himself was the key to the riddle of life, for he was the living image of the divine plan, and in future ages humanity also will come to realize more fully the solemn import of those ancient words, the proper study of mankind is man. Both God and man have a twofold constitution, of which the superior part is invisible and the inferior visible. In both there is also an intermediary sphere, marking the point where these visible and invisible natures meet. As the spiritual nature of God controls his objective universal form, which is actually a crystallized idea, so the spiritual nature of man is the invisible cause and controlling power of his visible material personality. Thus, it is evident that the spirit of man bears the same relationship to his material body that God bears to the objective universe. The mysteries taught that spirit, or life, was anterior to form and that what is anterior includes all that is posterior to itself. Spirit being anterior to form, form is therefore included within the realm of spirit. It is also a popular statement or belief that man's spirit is within his body. According to the conclusions of philosophy and theology, however, this belief is erroneous, for spirit first circumscribes an area and then manifests within it. Philosophically speaking, 
form, being a part of spirit, is within spirit, but, spirit is more than the sum of form. As the material nature of man is therefore within the sum of spirit, so the universal nature, including the entire sidereal system, is within the all-pervading essence of God, the universal spirit. The Secret Teachings of All Ages, by Manly P. Hall, 1928 Isis Unveiled, Volume 2, Chapter 2 To think for one moment that any of the popes, cardinals, or other high dignitaries were not aware from the first to the last of the external meanings of their symbols, is to do injustice to their great learning and their spirit of Machiavellism. It is to forget that the emissaries of Rome will never be stopped by any difficulty which can be skirted by the employment of Jesuitical artifice. The policy of complacent conformity was never carried to greater lengths than by the missionaries in Salon, who, according to the Abbe Dubois, certainly a learned and competent authority, conducted the images of the Virgin and Savior on triumphal cars, imitated from the orgies of Juggernaut, and introduced the dancers from the Brahmanical rites into the ceremonial of the church. Let us at least thank these black-frocked politicians for their consistency in employing the car of Juggernaut, upon which the wicked heathen conveys the linum of Shiva. To have used this car to carry in its turn the Romish representative of the female principle in nature, is to show discrimination and a thorough knowledge of the oldest mythological conceptions. They have blended the two deities, and thus represented, in a Christian procession, the heathen Brahma or Nara, the father, Nari, the mother, and Viraj, the son. Says Manu, the sovereign master who exists through himself, divides his body into two halves, male and female, and from the union of these two principles is born Viraj, the son. There was not a Christian father who could have been ignorant of these symbols in their physical meaning, for it is in this latter aspect that they were abandoned to the ignorant rabble. Moreover, they all had as good reasons to suspect the occult symbolism contained in these images, although as none of them, Paul accepted, perhaps, had been initiated they could know nothing whatever about the nature of the final rites. Any person revealing these mysteries was put to death, regardless of sex, nationality, or creed. A Christian father would no more be proof against an accident, than a pagan mista or the mu upsilon sigma tau eta sigma, secret. H.P. Blavatsky If during the aparata or preliminary arcanes, there were some practices which might have shocked the pudicity of a Christian convert, though we doubt the sincerity of such statements, their mystical symbolism was all sufficient to relieve the performance of any charge of licentiousness. Even the episode of the matron Bobo, whose rather eccentric method of consolation was immortalized in the minor mysteries, is explained by impartial mystagogues quite naturally. Ceres Demeter and her earthly wanderings in search of her daughter are the humorized descriptions of one of the most metaphysico-psychological subjects ever treated of, by human mind. It is a mask for the transcendent narrative of the initiated seers, the celestial vision of the freed soul of the initiate of the last hour describing the process by which the soul that has not yet been incarnated, descends for the first time into matter. Blessed is who hath seen those common concerns of the underworld, he knows both the end of life and its divine origin from Jupiter, says Pinder. Taylor shows, on the authority of more than one initiate, that the dramatic performances of the lesser mysteries were designed by their founders, to signify occultly, the condition of the unpurified soul invested with an earthly body and enveloped in a material and physical nature, 
that the soul, indeed, till purified by philosophy, suffers death through its union with the body. The body is the sepulchre, the prison of the soul, and many Christian fathers held with Plato that the soul is punished through its union with the body. Such is the fundamental doctrine of the Buddhists and of many Brahmanists too. When Plotinus remarks that, when the soul has descended into generation, from its half-divine condition, she partakes of evil, and is carried a great way into a state the opposite of her first purity and integrity, to be entirely merged in which is nothing more than to fall into dark mire, he only repeats the teachings of Gautama Buddha. If we have to believe the ancient initiates at all, we must accept their interpretation of the symbols. And if, moreover, we find them perfectly coinciding with the teachings of the greatest philosophers, and that which we know symbolizes the same meaning in the modern mysteries in the East, we must believe them to be right. H.P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 16 Sometimes, you know, it takes a great deal of patience for us to wait upon wayward humanity year after year, after they've been given the pearls of existence on a golden platter, just wait until they get through following their own experiment with misery. I'm speaking of this tonight because the conscious understanding of what the angelic hosts do to assist mankind must come to the intellect of human beings who are intelligent enough to understand it. If I were you who abide within this city, I certainly would not let the day go by that I did not give love and gratitude and recognition to all of the angelic hosts who have ministered here in the past, who guard your destiny of the future, and who abide with you in the present. These are friends to life. The angelic hosts are guardians of good. They are the masters and the victorious presence of love, love that mankind understands as yet very little of its blessing to life. And all of that waiting, waiting, waiting for recognition, for acceptance, for use and for your call, that it may come into physical conditions and manifest its control and transmuting love to raise those conditions into the perfection of our octave. Beloved ones, when you realize how wonderful these great beings are, and how many ascended masters and cosmic beings, and those of the angelic host, are ever ministering to the people of this world, and ever awaiting an opening and an opportunity to give only the blessings that bring happiness to all, Yet mankind go on oblivious of their divine presence, simply because their attention is occupied with their own desire. I am drawing forth from within you the latent memory of the reality of the angelic host and of some of their blessings that you have received in the centuries past. There isn't a one in this room tonight who hasn't in the past had some conscious contact with the angelic host, through which was received divine assistance of transcendent power. Now I would be very grateful if you would call for the authority of the angelic host, in the miracle love which they send to this earth, to charge forth into the desires of the feeling world of mankind, and see if we cannot awaken the eternal, divine desire within the feeling world to become like the angels. Beloved Archangel Michael Mankind Oh mankind! Awaken tonight to the divine beings who hold their hands out to you for assistance, who have poured love through the ages, who stand awaiting the opportunity to consume like a scroll in the heavens, the unfortunate creation that selfishness has imposed upon God's universe. We would appreciate a decree that would compel mankind to awaken to the reality of the angelic host, to the understanding of their service, and to some gratitude to that divine life that has blessed them, and always blesses them so greatly from the octaves above. 
There are uncountable legions of angels whose love would make you weep with joy were you to see their approach at your call. So often mankind have thought the guardian angels were only for children, and it just happens that all mankind are children. So, since it is my privilege to wield certain authority in the awakening of mankind to that which the angelic host are about to do, I am pleading for my friends. I trust you will accept them as your friends. Applause, audience rising. Thank you, precious ones. Won't you be seated, please, and just remain so. I will not take much more of your time, but I wish to remind you that only recently I brought to the attention of the I am youth at the conclave, my desire to have you call the miracle authority, which I am to the earth, of the angelic host, to come into your outer use. Call it into physical conditions, that we may set aside the human authority that has usurped that which belongs to God. I offered at the conclave, the use of my miracle authority, and I say to you tonight, it's my miracle authority of the angelic host in cosmic action which I ask you to charge into physical conditions, that that which the human has usurped may be set aside, and that which is eternal in the victory of God's love may take its divinely appointed place in physical conditions, and bring about the divine order that brings happiness to all. I might just as well tell you tonight, you might just as well be prepared for it. All of us who will come to give these dictations in the future will consciously and continuously and all-powerfully keep returning your attention to the use of the victory of the miracle love from your presence and from us. We are all concentrating on this at this time, and we want you to recognize it as the sacred fire from our octave that enters into the atmosphere of your world, to be the authority over the human discord that tries to envelop the nation in its shadows. Beloved Archangel Michael, Thank you.